0: Turn to 1 Corinthians 15. It is, of course, Easter Sunday, that day once a year when the Christian church all over the world uh, commemorates the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are in 1 Corinthians 15, which is the most extensive treatment of the resurrection in all of the Scriptures. I'll start reading... In verse 3, uh, follow as I read, 1 Corinthians, uh, rather I'll start reading in verse 1, 1 Corinthians 15, 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. Turn to uh, verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even. So, as I said last week, uh, in 1 Corinthians, Paul deals with all sorts of pastoral issues, how to uh, view and deal with sexual immorality, which was rampant in their culture and had even seeped into their church, much like in our day. He deals with instruction for marriage. He deals with spiritual gifts, the Lord's Supper. Uh, There's the love chapter, chapter 13. But here toward the end of the letter... um, Paul takes the Corinthians back to where he started when he first came to them as a missionary a few years prior. He's taken them back to the Gospel. It was of first importance when he delivered it to them a few years ago, and it is still of utmost importance. The Gospel is not just for the beginning of the Christian life, it is the fuel for the entire Christian life. The Gospel, the gospel is not just for becoming a Christian, the Gospel is for growing as a Christian and enduring as a Christian. So what is the Gospel? He tells us, verse 3, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried and was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. The Gospel is simply the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, last week we talked about Jesus' death. This week, resurrection. And then I said last week, burial is in there. He was he died, He was buried, He rose. Uh, burial is in there just to confirm that we're talking about a literal death and a literal resurrection. He literally died for our literal sins. He was buried in a literal tomb and he literally walked out on the 3rd day, defeating not only the enemy of sin but also the enemy of death. The wages of sin is death. Jesus paid the wages. The free gift of God is the etern- is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, that same life that conquered death in the resurrection. Now, as we saw in verse 12, some people in the Corinthian church were saying that the resurrection did not literally happen. You know, it's hard to imagine. I mean, some guy coming back from the dead, maybe it was just meant to be like a powerful story or a metaphor or something. Um, and, And so Paul in chapter 15 is giving strong rebuke to that thought. And he's saying, without the resurrection, we don't have a gospel. Without the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, we have no hope. He says, verse 14, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching and faith are in vain. Verse 17, If Christ has not been raised, then our faith is useless, and we are still in our sins. Verse 18 to 20, If Christ has not been raised, then everyone who dies perishes, and the only hope that the gospel offers is in this life. And if in Christ we have We only have hope in this life. We of all people, he says, are most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And because He has, no one who is in Christ will ever perish. The hope of the Gospel is the hope of the resurrection. It's the hope that though we die, yet shall we live. The day that we die, we will be made most fully alive. Um, 1 Corinthians 15 can pretty much be broken in half. The first half is talking about the fact of the resurrection. The second half deals with the nature of the resurrection. The second half is where we find out we're going to have bodies in heaven, uh, bodies that are much more substantial than the ones that we have now, bodies that won't break down. Uh, These bodies are perishable. Those bodies will be imperishable. These bodies are mortal. Those bodies will be immortal. Immortal. So that's the nature. As we dig in a little more, I want to focus on the fact. Um, well, a little more about the nature. Notice uh, that after Jesus was raised, He appeared to a bunch of folks. And we find out about the nature of His resurrected body in the Gospels. He ate with the disciples. Um, uh, his wounds were noticeable. You could see them. He could also be touched. He's not like a ghost that you know, doesn't have substance But again, Paul's dealing with the fact and um, he says that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures and then he appeared to a bunch of people. He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, then to more than five hundred brothers, all at the same time, most of whom were still alive when Paul sent this letter uh, though some had died. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, uh, all the apostles later to Paul. So what is the significance of this? Um... Remember that there are a group of Corinthians that are questioning whether the resurrection is literal. Uh, In fact, they were saying it wasn't, and Paul is defending the fact that it most certainly was. Think about if they're in a courtroom, and uh, the prosecution is claiming that the resurrection didn't really happen, thus those who speak of a literal resurrection are misleading people. Um, They've been misled, and they're misleading the masses. Or worse, they're liars <clears throat> and they're deceiving the masses. So it's time for the defense to speak. Paul is the defense attorney. He stands before the judge. He says, Your Honor, Jesus did in fact rise from the dead, and I have more than 500 eyewitnesses that will take the stand to confirm this. You think about that. Think about if this is a murder trial. Uh, the Aaron Hernandez trial is in the news a lot right now. Uh, so if there's even one eyewitness that says that he did it, that's devastating. That's devastating. Now, if you have a few eyewitnesses that all have compatible testimony to the fact that he did it, um, it's very devastating. Paul is not just talking about multiple eyewitnesses. Um, he's, he's even talking about multiple clusters of eyewitnesses. He appeared to the Twelve. He appeared to all the apostles. He appeared to more than 500 brothers at the same time. And, and the thing is that most of these eyewitnesses were still alive at the time that Paul wrote this letter. Meaning, they are available for your questions. They are available to take the stand. Um, you know, it could be easy to explain away one eyewitness, especially in our day. I'm sure you could get a doctor to say that he's crazy. Even a handful of eyewitnesses, I'm sure there's an explanation for how crazy. But they had these multiple clusters of eyewitness, eyewitnesses. One cluster was more than 500 people most of whom are still alive as he writes. Case closed. There, there's, There is no case. Um, you know, this is in the realm of apologetics. First Peter 3 says we should always be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in us. To give a defense, apologia, that's where we get apologetics. And if there is one thing that opponents of Christianity have tried to attack over the years, it's the resurrection because... Christianity rises or falls with the resurrection. If Christ was not raised, our faith is stupid. And we are still in our sins. And of all the people on the planet, we are the most pitiful. But if He was raised, and He was, then you can't stop it. What are you going to do? you Are going to kill us? I mean, you'd be doing us a favor. We'd be with Jesus. And He defeated death. So, obviously, death is not... A problem for the advance of the kingdom of God. Um, now, in our day-to-day lives, we may not be dealing with, you know, angry liberal Christians who deny the literal resurrection. We may not be dealing with militant atheists, but you may have friends or family um, acquaintances that just struggle to believe in the supernatural. You know, the resurrection. I don't, I don't really buy that. Or, or they might say it's kind of hard to believe. Don't you think? I mean. So, how would you respond in a a conversation like that? I would say that this passage gives you a great way to respond. Um, And say, you know, you're not the first person that has struggled with this. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, Paul is dealing with many people who didn't believe in the resurrection. And this is the case he made. Jesus appeared to more than 500 people after he rose from the dead, uh, before he went back to heaven. And at the time of Paul's letter... When, when he's defending the fact that the resurrection truly happened, most of these 500 eyewitnesses that saw Jesus resurrected were still alive, so anyone could go talk to him about it. I mean, in a courtroom, you got a couple eyewitnesses, and you're going to make a pretty good case. We're talking about somewhere around 500 eyewitnesses. I hear what you're saying. It's hard to believe. But when you think about the evidence, it's really kind of hard not to believe. One thing I would say to us is... Uh, You know, we often tend to talk about faith as a blind leap. Um, And our faith is not a a leap into the dark at all. Uh, It's perfectly logical. It's perfectly reasonable. I think you have to leap into the dark not to believe this. I mean, this is uh, as good as a case can be made. 500 eyewitnesses, you don't hear about stuff like that. So we're talking about... Making a defense to others that the resurrection is a fact, not a myth, and there's nothing wrong with that. Certainly, one of the things Paul is doing in this chapter. But there's something else here that we cannot miss. Um, Paul is not only using the fact of the resurrection to argue with those who don't believe in it, he is also using the fact of the resurrection to strengthen the hope of believers. Christ has been raised from the dead, he says, and because he has, we know that we will be raised as well. So, he's not only defending this argument against those who don't believe, he's using this argument to bolster the faith of those that do. Um, We should not only be ready to make an argument to others, we need to make these arguments to ourselves. The resurrection is true. How could you make a better case? More than 500 eyewitnesses, most of whom are still available for questioning. Multiple clusters of eyewitnesses who saw Him at different times in different places. They couldn't have possibly been hallucinating or something like that because they had people all around that were seeing the same thing. you seeing this? Yeah, I'm seeing this. And then they eat with them and stuff like that. Um, the resurrection is true, literally true. And because it is, we can say to ourselves, I will not... Perish On the day that I die, I will surely live. Jesus conquered my sin, He conquered the grave, and I am in Him. You know, we often talk around here about preaching the gospel to ourselves. Um, And when we talk about that, we usually mean reminding ourselves of the sufficient payment that was made for our sins. And to that I say, Amen. But we're usually applying that in the here and now. We're usually reminding ourselves uh, of the forgiveness of sins in the face of present guilt and present shame and things like that. Nothing wrong with that. But what we learn from this passage is that the, the resurrection is a part of the gospel too. Paul says so in 1 Corinthians 15. and you know He says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. And then he says, Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day all in accordance with the Scriptures. So we don't only need to be reminding ourselves of the forgiveness of sins in the here and now, we need to also be reminding ourselves of the resurrection. Preaching the resurrection to ourselves is preaching the gospel to ourselves. Um, And more than anything, the resurrection assures us of our future. In fact, future hope is the primary hope of the gospel. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are pitiful. Um, That doesn't mean that there isn't present hope for the Christian. There is, but it is not a hope that is fulfilled in the present. We are clinging to a hope that is fulfilled in the future, beyond the grave, for all eternity, eternal life. So you want to know what that looks like? What does it look like to to live um, in light of this resurrection hope. I've been reading back through the book of Acts and I just don't know that there's any better place to go to see what a a community of people living in light of the resurrection looks like than there. These first Christians were propelled by the hope of the resurrection and the power of the resurrection. Um, Romans 8.11 says that the, the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. The power of the resurrection dwells in us. So propelled by the hope and the power of the resurrection, they lived bold, joyful, courageous lives in obedience and service to Christ. They lived as though this life was going to pass quickly, and they wanted it maximized for God's glory and not their own. Um, they, these were not people who lived like the hope of the gospel was primarily a hope for this life. They were people that clung to the hope of glory. People that were confident in the rock-solid hope that we have beyond the grave. We will die, but though we die, yet shall we live. And these were people that lived this life in light of eternal life. Um, I loved what Luke said a couple weeks ago. We're talking about the grace that it is that we gather together here regularly, even a couple times a week. And... uh, he was saying, "What a what a kindness it is from God that we come in here every week and we hear a countercultural message." You know, the world is doing everything to get us to think primarily about this life, and and the world wants us to live our Christian lives as if the primary hope of the Christian life is about this life. But if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are pitiful. Um, a couple of areas of application. During that same conversation, uh, we were talking about taking risks for the glory of God and, you know, getting outside of our comfort zone into the place where the magic happens and uh, stepping into areas of sacrifice and service, both short term and long term, uh, that will surely stretch us, but will also certainly glorify God and, and grow us in the Lord. And, and I think we have to come back to the resurrection to think about that because you... We say, what are we really risking, honestly, in taking risks in this life? We're risking a few resources. I mean, we're risking a few comforts or a few worldly dreams. But we're certainly not risking our eternity. Um, next thing, I was talking to a friend recently who's going through a really hard time and uh, a lot of suffering, can't see light at the end of the tunnel. And at the end of the conversation, they said, you know, I'm just not sure that I'll ever get my life back. And um, while I totally understand where they were coming from and I'm not trying to beat up on someone that is already hurting, I would say that those are the areas where we have to preach the gospel to ourselves, preach the resurrection to ourselves. And um, because the reality is, this person may not ever get their life back And it may never get any better, this side of the grave. In fact, it might continue to get worse. But, when you get in those places of loss and suffering and deep hurt, we preach the Gospel to ourselves. We preach the resurrection to ourselves. Um, Living in light of the resurrection, even in the worst of times... We can say, this is awful, it may not get better, but no one can take my life from me because my life is in Christ and He rose from the dead. So, you can take a lot of things from me. Um, We will be sorrowful, we will suffer, we may suffer loss, we may suffer betrayal or rejection or chaos, the death of a dream, the death of a loved one, Uh, whether sickness or sword We may live in a time of another great war. um, Terrible war. Uh, But we can be confident of, of this. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried. He rose on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Life swallowed up death. You can take a lot of things from us, but you cannot take the hope that we have for glory. And may our sure hope Inform every day until we get there. let's pray. Our Father in heaven, this is a uh, certainly a countercultural message, and uh, one that it's frankly hard to contemplate, but it's just as we hear it, we just, Lord, it is refreshing to the soul. It is hopeful. Uh, This life can uh, be cruel. Um, The world is a dark place. And yet, uh, Lord Jesus, we know that You have overcome the world. You have overcome the worst thing that the world has to offer uh, in sin and death. And certainly we are riddled with sin. Uh, We know that our death is certain. But uh, we can know even more certainly that when we die, we will be made fully alive. Lord, would you minister that hope deep into our souls? And would you uh, fill us with your spirit that our resurrection hope would uh, flood our everyday lives and that we would live in, in the hope and the power of the resurrection of our Lord? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.